G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The Lord heard you when you wailed, if only we had meat to eat. We're better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we continue the story series in Numbers 11, using the story of Moses to illustrate the power of God and how he uses situations to challenge, bless and teach us. Now God gets angry at Moses, 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 let me get this straight. First you questioned my kindness, now you're questioning my ability, my omnipotence, really? And he says to him in verse 23, is the Lord's arm too short? This is Today with Jeff Vines. It would be tough to have a better friend than Dane Johnson. I know I give him a tough time, but that's what you do with friends. But the reality is, when I went through my three years of severe anxiety disorder, this guy was my rock. He put his arm around me after about the third week, and he said, Pastor Jeff, you know why this is happening? And I said, no, I don't, because you're cranky when you're here. Aren't you? You're cranky. I said, no, I don't. What 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 do you got from me? He says, don't you get it? This church and this ministry is about to take the valley, and there's no way the devil's going to sit idly by and do that without a fight. Don't you understand that? And man, you know what I mean? When he said that, I kind of, he's afraid of me. (laughs) You know, he's afraid of us. I just felt great, man. Yeah, he's afraid. Yeah. And Dane said, look, my phone is available to you 24-7. No matter what time of day or night, you call me. If you need reminding of that, and there's a few times I called him at 2.30 in the morning, he answered the phone. Hello. <laughs> hey, Dane, man, it's Jeff. And he would just, <clears throat> yeah, Jeff, what can I do for you? How you doing? Man, I'm not doing well. Can you pray for me? Yeah. He just, oh, just such a, just such a great prayer. And I'd always say, thanks, man, I'm good. The next day he would be really tired because he couldn't go back to sleep, but I was good. We were in Savannah, Georgia on a speaking trip. We were staying in a hotel together, separate beds. And uh, I had a really bad attack around 2.30 in the morning. It was, it was probably the worst attack I had in that three-year span. I mean, it was really bad. I really thought I was dying. The heart was racing. And I woke Dane up. He got right out of bed and came over and sat down beside, put his arm around and said, look, you're all right. Do you know he did in eight minutes what Xanax takes about 15 to do? <laughs> Just put his arm around him and said, hey, man, we know what this is about. Don't let him win. Take some deep breaths. I'm going to pray for you. And by the time he had finished praying, I was about to fall asleep. Everybody should have a friend like that. God's forte has always been provision. The problem with some of you, now, I don't usually talk like that. I usually say the problem with some of us. But see, I don't have this problem. This is one of those things I, I have gotten right in my life. Now, there are other things that are wrong. This is not one of them. The problem with some of you is you live in such isolation that when you're in the wilderness, nobody knows it. And you get angry at your church because nobody meets your need, but nobody knows you're there because you're living isolation. 
So you've not invested in friendship and community. So when you get ill, when you go to the wilderness, nobody knows it. So you're alone. This is fertile land for complaint, for burnout, for breakdown, for meltdown. But it's also fertile land for God's provision. But it's also fertile land for discipline. Now, this is not true in every case. But we have a manna riot on our hands. People are rioting. Give us meat. Give us, we're tired of this manna. And so God responds. He says, tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. Now you got to, I wish I, I wish I could speak Hebrew. I can read a lot of it, but speaking it and getting the emphasis on the right place. You, you can't miss what's going on here because it, it, it's God speaking and God speaks in a, it, it's stern, it's emphatic. Kind of, he says, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat, he says. The Lord heard you when you wailed. Again, there's that word, if only we had meat to eat. We're better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You'll not eat it just for one day, two days, five, ten, or twenty days, but you'll eat it for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. That's how it reads. God says, you want meat? I got you some meat for you right here. You're going to eat so much, it's going to come out of your nose. And then you will know. And that's what happens. Now, when Moses hears God's promise, uh, Moses, uh, he kind of says, God, what have you done? What's, what's up, man? I could kill every goat and cow in Israel, and I could not feed the people for a month. What have you done? Now God gets angry at Moses. Moses, Moses, whoa, whoa. Let me get this straight. First you questioned my kindness. Now you're questioning my ability, my omnipotence, really? And he says to him in verse 23, is the Lord's arm too short? Uh, this is God, Moses. I can do whatever I want. I can make meat appear out of thin air. I did it with a manna. Isn't it amazing that Moses is still trying to solve the problems? I mean, he saw the Red Sea open. He saw manna come down out, and he's still trying to solve it. Some of you need to be reminded of that. Is there anything God can't do in your life? Anything? Is there anything he can't do? Can he not do immeasurably more than you could ever ask for or imagine? Is that not true? Is that what the scripture says, right? You don't think he can take this wilderness here and even bring something good out of it? Do you think you have to be here or here for good things to happen? You don't think God can take things here and make it just like, woo, we're in the wilderness, but it's good wilderness. You don't think God can do that? So God says, Moses, is my arm too short? That's why we talk about Job in this church all the time. Because Job, in effect, did do that with God. He said, God, if you would just explain to me why I'm here. And I would have a full explanation of why you've decided to keep me here for a while rather than just transplant me from there to there. Then I'll be able to endure the wilderness. And God says, no, you wouldn't. As a matter of fact, I'll prove it to you, Job. There are thousands of things that happen every day to you in your life that you don't have a full explanation for, but you readily accept them. You don't know how the sun goes up and down. You don't know the depths of the ocean. You don't understand the constellations. You might know two ounces of this universe, but there's so much more you don't know yet. You readily accept them. Job, your pain is no different. There are just some things about this area of your life that I cannot explain. One day it will be made clear. In the meantime, stay faithful. Because the same God that causes the sun to go up and down, the same God that, God that created the depths of the ocean, the constellations, is the same God that created this. And so, God is frustrated with his people because they say we should go back to Egypt. And God said, you want meat? 
Okay. Verse 31. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up to two cubits, two cubits, three feet. In other words, the quail came in and they only flew this high off the ground. Why? Well, they don't have guns. So they can just smack the quail. They fall down, pick it up, eat it. Well, you have to cook it first. All around the camp, as far as the days walk in any direction, so they're everywhere. All that day and night and all the next day, the peoples went out and gathered quail. (laughs) No one gathered less than 10 homers. That's not a baseball term. That's the equivalent of about 60 bushels. Then they, that's a lot of, that's a lot of quail. Then they spread them out all around the camp so everybody would have. But while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. Here's some quail. Enjoy. (laughs) You and I, you and I struggle with that, don't we? We, we struggle with that because we think, well, uh, God, what are you doing? Here's why we struggle. Because we still think that, that the love of God and the justice of God are mutually exclusive ideas. And they're not. Matter of fact, you can't even understand God's love until you understand his holiness. If you don't understand his holiness, his love is like a good pal to you. When you understand his holiness, it's more than that. It's a God who saves you, who redeems you, who restores you, who's able to bring something out of this that nobody else, no one else could do. And so you say, well, I don't want to believe in, let think about this. I don't want to believe in God. Remember what God is doing. Hold on. Remember that God is moving his people from here to here. And he needs to do something in them here so that they're ready for here. They've been steeped in idol worship for generation after generation. He's got to move them out here, show them the law, teach them his holiness, and then also show them that your trust is not to be in the idols that you've discovered back in Egypt, but your trust is to be in me. And that's going to take some time. But God in his foreknowledge, and I'm I'm assuming this, this is where I'm meandering, he knows that some of the people here, no matter what he does, It's not going to make a difference. They're always going to bicker, complain, and mumble, and they're never going to really give their hearts to him. So you know what he does? It's spiritual amputation. Same thing you do when you have cancer. You kill the bad cells so that you can keep the good ones. He's weeding out from the garden that when they come here, he'll be able to do ultimately what he wants to do, a new city that's different and distinct to the rest of the world. This is Today with Jeff Vines. His series, The Story, continues as we look at Numbers 11 and what God teaches us. Let's continue with Pastor Jeff. Nine times in the Bible it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Nine other times it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Which is it? Which is it? Both. How? Once God saw that Pharaoh's heart was not going to change no matter what happened, God hardened it even further so that God could use him to accomplish his purposes. In this story, you have to put... Numbers 11, verse 1, verse 4, and then this latest verse in 31 through 33 together and realize what God is doing. He is weeding out to create for himself a people set apart. Now, you struggle with that, some of you, don't you? I hear this all the time. I don't believe in a God who's both love and justice. He's one or the other. And you say, if, God is, if, that's, if that's the way God is, I'm not going to believe in him. Now, you think about that for a minute. <laughs> okay. All right, why don't you just go buy a pair of sneakers and kick a tank? The tank wouldn't be hurt, but your foot would be sore. You think, you think when you say, well, if that's the way you are, God, I'm not going to follow you. Who does that hurt, God or you? 
Really? God is God. No matter what you believe about him, he's still God. You can't create God in your own image. He is who he is. You choose to follow or not. You choose to remain faithful or not. But he never changes. He's immutable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when you get to heaven, you say, excuse me, God, excuse me, God, God I didn't believe in a holy and just and loving God. I only believed in a loving God. God's not going to say, oh, 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 I didn't know. You, you're okay. No. We're all going to stand before God and give an account for the way that we've lived. And are we faithful during the time? Because that, that brings me basically to the last part. And here's where I've been wanting to get. The land in between, yes, it's fertile soil for complaint and for burnout and for a crisis and for provision and for discipline. So some of you have to ask, what is it that's in my life that God wants me to take care of before he moves me here? Not all of some, but for all of us. The whole thing is spiritual transformation. That's what God, that's why the, that's why Sinai, that's why the mountain is necessary. That's why the desert, because these were people who were exposed to generation after generation of idol worship. And now God is going to put them in positions and places to test them, to see, are you still trusting in your idols? Are you trusting in me? So he sends them to a red sea to see if they'll trust him or complain They run out of water to see if they'll trust him and ask for more water or complain. They run out of food to see if they'll trust him for food or if they'll complain. And every time they complain and they say, our life was better off without you. So they wonder for 40 years until that generation dies out and the new one comes. And even through that, Moses disobeyed. And for those of you, you know, I never have understood why Moses, you know, he did all that work and he didn't get to see the promised land. Hey, remember Matthew 17 and 18 on the transfiguration? Who is with God? Moses. Moses might not have gotten to see the promised land, but he got to see the ultimate promised land. That's a God of grace. The land between is intended to transform us from auto worship into the worship and trust in God. He was not preparing the promised land for them. He was preparing them for the promised land. Because he knew that if when he got to the promised land with his people, if they turned back to their idols, then this lower story of God creating a new city of distinction in the world would implode. And can I just say to all of you, when you're here, two things you're going to learn about. And this is the end. Stay with me. This is the real end. No fake end this week. I'm serious. But I got to talk fast. When you're here, two things are going to happen. Number one, the real you is going to be revealed. We're going to know who you are when you're here. Oh, yeah. We're going to know if your God is truly God or something else in your life that you're hoping God will give you, and if he doesn't, you're walking away. Then you're still trusting in an idol, and the wilderness will have a way of revealing that. If you stand firm during the wilderness, then we'll know who you were from the beginning. If you walk away, we'll know that you were only using God to make your life better. You weren't asking God what you could do with your life to make his kingdom wider. The second thing you're going to learn is you're going to learn transformation. If you stay in the desert by faith, then you'll learn to pray. You'll learn to trust. You'll learn to read scripture. You'll learn to lean on God. You'll learn the value of community. You'll learn the value of friendship. You will learn what it is to live in community. Those are things you will never learn here or here, only here. Time does not heal all wounds. No. I know people who have wounds 
that they just become more angry and more bitter and more sour with every passing years. And here's why. Because their heart was never, never truly God's. They only want to use God for their purposes. So they get bitter and angry. The wilderness is the best greenhouse for transformational growth. But it is also the place where faith goes to die. And you choose. You get to choose. In the book of Genesis, there is a tree of life. And all life starts there. And then the very last book of the Bible, there's the tree of life again. Surrounded by the waters and the rivers. And it is entryway into God's promised land, the ultimate promised land. So that the Bible communicates that all of life is lived between the trees. Between the tree of life where life begins and between the tree of life where real life begins. All of life is lived here. But there's one more tree, isn't there? It's the tree of the cross. And God puts that tree in between the other two trees to show you that it's possible that even though life is tough and even though sometimes it appears that evil is winning and even though sometimes there's great sadness and great loss, even out of all that chaos, God brings life. Because the reality is, this is where all of us live all of the time. And it will not change until we get there. That's why the Apostle Paul says, do not be surprised. James says, do not be surprised by the trials. Do not be surprised. This is where we all live because God is making us ready to enter in. Let me... My dad, when my mom died, this is the end. (laughs) You have to understand that you're the last service and there are things that have to be cut off every sermon and this is the only time I get to say it. Okay, but this is the real end, okay? My dad, when my mom died, when my mom died, she, uh, my dad was, I mean, I saw a strong, a great man of strength just crumble. And, uh, it really affects you when you see your dad, who's been this man of strength. When my mom died at a young age, she was 61, my dad just was devastated. And about three days, three weeks, I don't know, sometime after the funeral, I was seated out on the porch swing in Tennessee with my dad. And my dad looked over at me and said, Jeff, why did God take your mother from me? And man... My dad, it's the first time my dad had asked me a question. Why did I, why did I, and I explained, Dad, I don't, I don't believe God just looked down and said, you know what, I'm going to get old Dean Vines. I'm going to take his wife from him. I think it works like that, Dad. I think that God knows the number of our days, the number of the hairs on our head. But it has a lot to do with our genes and the, has a lot to do with what's passed down to us, has a lot to do with the way we live our lives, what we put in our bodies, all that stuff. It's not like God says, I'm going to zap you. It's like God just says, I know the time of the end of your life. And we know from my mom, she had a heart problem. There was a heart problem she had that the doctors didn't discover it until too late. And one day she has a cardiac myopathy and she's gone. None of us have any guarantees of how many more days we have. My dad struggled with that. Dane Johnson told me, he said, hey, you told me that you regretted not having 
or not getting to say words to your mother before she died because you lived in New Zealand. Make sure that you say everything you need to your father now. So I went to Tennessee about two months before my father died and I told my father, I said, Dad, I love you. I want you to know you did a fantastic job with us and you were a great husband to our mother and you were a great father to us and we love you. Before I left the room that day, my father said, hey, before you go, there's something I need to tell you. I said, what is it? He said, I love you, son. And I loved your mother. And I love God. He had made his peace with God in the wilderness, although the most precious thing to him had been taken away. And when he closed his eyes and died, where did he go? He entered in to the promised land. Will you be faithful is the question of this narrative. As we stop and take a breath, will you be faithful? And if you will open up your hands and keep them open, God will provide. Father, I want to thank you for the power of such a strong narrative that reminds us that you have a purpose for your people, not just the children of Israel, but all your people. And I would pray that our eyes would have been open and we would be encouraged, we would be strengthened. I pray that you would give a special revelation to your people in this audience right now. There are those who need to see you in a way they've never seen you before. And I come to you in prayer, not with complaint, but in prayer and supplication that you would reveal yourself to them in a very special way. I pray that you'd give them a new vision of the cross and how all those who have lost someone close would remember you gave up someone close so that we who were far away could come near. And because we can come near, we may go through the wilderness of our lives. This may not be our final home. It is not our home. But the Ark of the Covenant is with us. Your presence, your tabernacle lives inside us. And as if we will keep our hands open, you will indeed provide. And we are grateful. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. That's the end of our look at Moses and the Israelites in Numbers 11. Please join us next time when Pastor Jeff will speak about Joshua and the walls of Jericho. I want to deal with what happens just before that. There's something unique that happens just before the walls fall, just before they're given the instructions to take over the land. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.